Dr. Charles Talbot, recording for Clear Minds, Inc., Outpatient Therapy Division, Internal Records. The date is July 19th, 2022. So far, the workday has gone normal. Dr. Lucian Donahue and I parted ways after reaching the office. Thankfully, there were no miscellaneous presents waiting for us upon entering. I did bring and install new locks. I'm not comfortable with someone else having keys. Aside from Dr. Donahue and myself, of course. Organizing was almost non-existent today. I spent most of it searching the many books on the shelves. I have found no more hidden tapes. Given how many books are here, though, I've barely made a dent. I'm officially adding searching books to the workload. It's a low priority, comparatively. While the highest being that the office is ready to reopen, which will have to be postponed. I have no evidence that the tape we found has a corresponding transcript. Knowing what I've seen from Dr. Owen, I wouldn't be surprised if there isn't one. I scanned the remaining files in the box CMX1088AE. No luck. It's possible that I missed it. As mentioned, I scanned them, not read them. I instructed Dr. Donahue to do the same with his box. I have dim hopes he will find it. If he does, however, we can move the priority list around. Finding more tapes would shorten the work, only if that's the case. Uh, I suppose I'll find out come lunch. Donahue insists that we go out for lunch today. I would rather eat and work. I guess that's his point. Speaking of, judging by the time, he should be... Oh, Charles! Right on cue. Well, well, would you look at the time? Yes, I know. Lunch. Just give me a moment. Not a chance. You said four, and would you look at that? It is now exactly four. On the dot. Come on, let's go. I hear you. I just have to... Nope. Get up. There you go. Now turn off that dusty recorder. Fine. It's not even dusty. I thought you said no tape recorders. No, I said you couldn't use yours. You just talk about work, and we can't have that. Well, we can't send that tape in now. These recorders, and by extension, the cassettes are for work purposes only. Very funny. What do you even do with these anyway? I was being serious. HQ requires that I mail them a batch every 15th of the month. Now I know you're joking. It's far more efficient just to email them. I won't argue there, but orders are orders. Speaking of, what looks good? I am thinking the steak tacos. Ooh, maybe a cheese pupusa. I thought you hated tacos. As takeout, this is dine-in. You may not be familiar to dine-in is when you go to an actual restaurant and sit at a table instead of a desk. The thing in front of you is called a menu. Oh, is it now? And here- Hey y'all, can I get you some drinks to start? I actually think we're ready. I'll have the steak tacos and the cheese pupusa, uh, horchata to drink. Uh, I, I guess I'll have a cheese quesadilla coffee to drink? Cream and sugar? Black is fine. I'll get right on that. What? Could you be more boring? Black coffee, cheese quesadilla? I'm sorry. I knew you were hoping for something more exciting to add to your recording. Perhaps, but it won't be mine for long. Meaning? 
You said these are for work. This isn't a new tape, Charles. It has my recording from the office on it as well. You mean that I have to listen to this conversation twice? Twice? How so? Coffee, black, and a forchiata. Food's coming. Uh, thanks. No problem. I listen to all your tapes. Aw, Charles! Well, three times, if you count when you force me to listen. You're welcome. I also make a digital copy. Wait. Wait. How? Oh my god. Do... Do you hold it up to your laptop and hit play? Shut up. You... You do, don't you? Oh, this is great. Wait, why? Is that part of your... Orders? No. Redundancy is important. I make the copies just before sending out a batch. They don't ask for an email, but... Overachiever. Do you do anything else but work? Yeah, I... do things. Oh, like what? Like... Oh, I started working on a new system. It not only maximizes cataloging, but also organizes information based on relevance to any given topic. It's actually pretty simple when you think about it. Steak tacos and pupusa. Thank God. And you got the cheese quesadilla. Uh, thanks. So, a- anyway, if you take into consider... Shh, shh, shh. No talkie, only Edie. But... Only Edie, Charles. Update. Lunch went... fine. It was... nice get out of the office, even if for only an hour or so. I'm pulling from the box labeled CMX1088AE. Let's see. Ah, patient name, Peyton Highland. Transcript as follows. I know you want to hear about what's happening to me, but there is way more to it than just the facts. I'm not sure how you think you can help, but if you went through all this trouble to find me, I'll give it a shot. It all started with my brother. We have been... estranged? Oof. Going on four years now? We didn't have a huge falling out or anything like that, we just never got along. He's the kind of guy that always thinks he's right, but like, in a patronizing way. Combine that with my over-willingness to argue, and that makes a relationship with him difficult. That's not why I'm here, obviously. Despite our differences, which are many, we've come to an agreement. He stays out of my life, and I stay out of his. Simple. Growing up, Dad always preached the importance of family. He drilled into us that no matter our differences, if one was in trouble, or needed help in any way, the other should rise to the occasion. Yeah, I know, that kind of mentality can be toxic, but... Now that Dad has passed, there is this guilt there. Like, if Cameron needed something and I didn't help out, it would feel like I'm betraying Dad? We don't have to unpack that because that's also not why I'm here. I just... wanted you to have context. Cameron calls me up one day to let me know he's in town for a week. He lives pretty far, so this was rare. I think he only called out of... obligation? So we go through the motions. The standard questions. How have you been? Anything new? You still work at that place? And so on. Offhandedly, I mention that my current car is kind of on its way out. I could barely afford the one I have. 
Lo and behold, the entire reason Cameron is in town is because he is buying a new car. I'm not much of a car girl myself, so when he rambled some car mumbo-jumbo, I was completely lost. I gathered it was rare or some collector's thing. The point is, since he was buying a new car, he was going to sell the one he drove up here. There wasn't really anything wrong with it. I guess it was just easier to drive the new one back. So Dad's words echoed in the both of us. He knew better than to just give me the car. My pride would not allow that, but he did offer to sell it to me. At a very cheap price. I wasn't in a place financially to say no, so I agreed. And Dad taught me to offer help in return. Earlier in our conversation, he mentioned he was staying at a hotel for the week. So of course, I told him he could stay with me if he wanted. I insisted it wouldn't be any trouble. Seeing as my roommate moved out and into her boyfriend's a few weeks back, I had the spare room. I waited with bated breath for him to consider the option and give his answer. I kind of hoped he would decline. Faking pleasantries over the phone, super easy. But for a whole week, less so. He accepted my offer. I gave him my address, and the rest of the conversation went pretty quickly. We hung up. I stood there in my kitchen for a few minutes in silence. I knew I had to offer, but at the same time, I began to regret it. I work from home, and Cameron can be inconsiderate, to put it mildly. I nearly forgot he was a neat freak, whereas I'm a bit more liberal with chores. As luck would have it, that was my day off. So I had just enough time to clean the apartment to his standards, as well as restock on snacks and food and such. No sooner than I put the last bag of chips in the pantry did my doorbell ring. Honestly, I think that's the first time I ever heard it. Most people just text when they arrive at someone's house nowadays, right? I have no idea what I expected when I opened the door. My brother's mood has always been a lotto. Some days he was preppy and upbeat, but others he was irritable and short-tempered. But the man I saw before me was a far cry from my brother. In all his moods, I have never seen him tired or slow of body. Even in the early hours or the late of night, fatigue never seemed to touch him. Yet, that's what he was. His slumped body leaned against my doorframe. The bags in his eyes were deep and hung low. He gave me a weak smile and I invited him in. I asked if he was okay, if he was feeling well. He responded that he was just tired and needed to crash. At the time, I thought that was actually understandable. I mean, he drove hours to get here. And as odd as it was to see him this way, what did I expect? That his boundless energy would last forever? I just thought age finally caught up with him. We weren't spring chickens anymore, that's for sure. The next morning, I woke up to some pretty loud music. Granted, it was 11am, and the music wasn't unpleasant or anything. It's just extremely early for me, since I choose my own hours. So I came bursting out of my room, ready to bite his head off. My anger was lessened a bit by the smell of bacon, steak, and eggs. I wasn't even mad that I had plans for the steak. A huge flaw of mine is that I forget to eat. 
I can go a whole day on a single bagel. But as soon as I smell a homemade meal, it's like all that hunger just comes right back. So instead, I lowered the volume of the music and took a seat at the table. He didn't say anything, but he looked at me and smiled. Today was a happy mood kind of day for him. That put me at ease. It, it was kind of nice. For a moment, I forgot about the decades of drama between us, the tenuous treaty we struck, the radio silence since Dad died. It was like we were kids again, like it was just any other Tuesday, and Dad had already left for work super early, and Cameron was waking me up with music and food. The only thing that was missing was my backpack and a coat sitting on the chair across from me. No doubt, lunch already packed in a paper brown bag. It was small moments like this that reminded me that my brother wasn't a bad person. In fact, he was, in a lot of ways, a good guy. He sat a plate down in front of me before taking a seat. The portions were small. He meant well, so I, I didn't say anything. Contrary to his demeanor, he seemed stiff. And his walk was jilted. Like he slept wrong last night, and his body didn't agree with the movements. If it was just that, he would have deserved it. He didn't deserve what was really happening to him. I would get my first hint at what a few hours later. As soon as I got done eating, he pestered me to watch some movie. After much effort, I was able to wiggle out of it. Off to my room I went. I put on headphones and dove into work. I've always enjoyed what I do, if I'm being honest, but today... I attacked my duties with more fervor than normal. At first, it was to distract from my house guest, but that excuse faded. I got wrapped up in it. Hours passed as I cut music, inserted sound effects, edited and cleaned audio. Ultimately, I rearranged everything. What was once disjointed monologues, miscellaneous music, and recordings of footsteps became a story. A cohesive story, one designed to immerse one into the fiction to horrify, to delight, to inspire. Well, <laughs> at least I thought so. I'd submitted my work, and I would have to wait to see if the producer agreed. Usually after work, I take a shower. I just let the hot water pour over me as I mentally review everything in my head. I always emerge with a new idea for edits. After all, my shower is a very important part of my process. As I made my way to the bathroom and opened the door, I... I forgot Cameron was staying here. <laughs> And like a bad sitcom, I totally walked in on him as he was coming out of the shower. Perfect timing on my part, though. He already had a towel wrapped around any awkward parts. As I was being shooed out, I caught a glimpse of something in the mirror. It was only for a brief moment, but I was sure I saw something. Emerging from his skin just above the shoulder blade was this shiny white thing. At the time, I thought it was a shard of plastic. Maybe? My confusion and worry overrode the secondhand embarrassment. I even pushed aside the fact he used up all the hot water. I simply moved to the kitchen and put on a pot of tea. I... I really meant our conversation to come from a place of concern. I, I really did. What it actually became was a classic Highland sibling fight. All the regulars were there, shouting, name-calling, dragging up the past, all ending with slamming of doors. Well... There went all the maturity I thought I gained over the years.
The next morning, I woke up to my alarm, which on any other day would have been ideal, but I mean, this is Cameron we're talking about. Getting up early and turning on music as he cleaned the house and cooked breakfast was a ritual for him. When I finally rolled out of bed, I exited my room, and to be fully honest with you, I expected him to be gone and to find a letter on the table. Obviously, the car would be forfeit. Another classic move by your girl, Peyton. There wasn't a note or anything like that. I quietly made my way through my apartment and creaked open the door to the guest bedroom. To my surprise, Cameron was in bed. What's more, he was fast asleep. I went to close the door. Maybe I'd apologize by making breakfast. But the thing is, Cameron always slept on his stomach. Since it was past noon, the daylight teemed into the room between the cracks and the curtains. Just like I saw the previous night, some white, hard-looking material jutted out from his back. It was smooth, but less shiny. Which, looking back, made a weird sort of sense. The shine was probably from the water from the shower. I needed a closer look. I silently made my way to the bedside and leaned in. The skin around the white protrusion was irritated and red. Specks of dried blood clung to the thing. My hand moved on its own before I had any idea what was happening. My fingers grazed it, and at that moment I knew what it was. Bone. It was a plate of bone. My stomach turned. I might have failed anatomy in high school, but even I knew that shouldn't have been there. Not in that shape. Not in that size. Cameron shot awake. In a blur, he was facing me with this look of horror on his face. I knew that look would turn into one of annoyance and accusation, unless I spoke up first. I firmly asked him about the literal bones sticking out of his skin. I say ask, but it was one of those questions that was closer to a statement than anything. Immediately, his shoulders dropped, and he rubbed his face in his hands. He looked defeated. I could tell part of him wanted to deny it, but my expression was plenty warning not to. He just kept apologizing over and over, tears building behind his eyes. <sighs> Looking back, I should have given him a moment to calm down, but... Cameron has this bad habit of not going to the doctors, like, ever. He could have his arm chopped off and you would still have to drag him kicking and screaming to the ER. So naturally, I assumed that he had been brushing this off. I had this whole speech I gave him about how your health is not something you gamble on, and if he wasn't going to take care of it, then I would. After I finished, he informed me that he already went. He saw a specialist near his place. I was stunned into silence. That only made me worry more. If Cameron went to the doctors, then that means it had to be bad. I felt like a stone was dropped into my stomach when I watched him struggle to put on a shirt. He explained that he had some disorder. I can't pronounce it. Um, basically, though, um, parts of your body start becoming bone. Sounds crazy, but I googled it, and it's a real thing. But Google didn't tell me what would happen throughout the week. At first, Cameron just had a harder time getting around in general. Three days later, he could barely cross a room. For the first time, I didn't hold any of his mood swings against him. I wasn't sleeping well. Watching him deteriorate so quickly was hard. It was like watching Dad all over again, but... But instead of cancer, my brother had the most odd, lethal condition ever. 
I had pulled out of the project and explained my situation. My client seemed like they understood and everything, but I knew right then and there I wouldn't be working with them in the future. I can't really blame them. It sounded far-fetched. Day six, Cameron fell trying to get to the pizza we ordered. When I helped him up, I... His leg, from the knee down, was solid bone. I went into full panic mode. I practically dragged him kicking and screaming out of the apartment. The entire time we argued, I was determined to take him to the ER. Surely something could be done. He begged me not to. His voice was drenched in desperation, so much so that when we got to my car, I physically stopped. It was clear to him that I wasn't going to just drop this, and it was painfully clear to me that he didn't want to go to the hospital. He reassured me that after the car sale tomorrow, the first thing he would do when he got back home was see his specialist. He said that he was the only one that could help him. That's when I knew what I had to do. I practically forced him into the passenger side of his car. Mine wouldn't make the trip, but his absolutely would. You see, over the week, Cameron had told me all about his condition and his treatment. I knew the name of the doctor and the name of the doctor's office. I didn't care if Cameron would blame me for the rest of his life that he missed out on buying some stupid car. I was driving him there now. According to Google, if we left then, we would get there ten minutes before they opened. He was in no state to argue. I started the car and we drove. As we made our way, I was so confident I made the right decision. Each passing moment I could hear these unforgettable sounds. I stole glances at Cameron, who was barely conscious. Bones began to grow on him. They began peeking from his shirt, climbing up his neck and making their way down his arm. I... I'm surprised I wasn't pulled over for speeding. Cameron's breathing became ragged, each breath rattled. He made the motions of a cough, but barely any sound escaped him. We were 30 minutes early. I began a hail of swears. Frantically, I looked around, and to my surprise, the parking lot was packed full of cars. An ambulance was Maybe ten feet in front of us, the back door was wide open, its emergency lights still flashing. What's more was the office glass doors were open, held in place by some sort of box. I didn't have time to process any of this. I was just thankful that they were open, the whys and hows didn't matter. I exited the car and moved around to the passenger side. I tugged on Cameron's arm and for the first time in a while he made a sound. It still haunts me. It was this guttural response filled with agony. Bones had grown and somehow they fused with the car seat. Each pull I attempted elicited the same painful moan. I knew I had to stop. I had to get help. So I ran inside screaming like a madwoman. My cries for aid echoed throughout the halls and bounced off large opaque plastic sheets that hung from the ceiling to the floor. The word quarantine in big bold letters was plastered everywhere along with biohazard symbols. The lights were off, plunging the whole building into near darkness. I called out many, many times, each attempt becoming more desperate than the last. I ran back to my car and grabbed my phone. Cameron's eyes weakly followed my movements, pieces and plates of bone covered most of his face. 
high hand never shook so much as I flicked on the flashlight app and rushed back inside. I pushed back the plastic curtains and ventured deeper into the clinic. It was empty. My footsteps echoed off the tile and the sense of dread climbed with each step forward. I shined my light around, quickly flicking it from hall to hall, through open doorways, and anywhere I could find someone, anyone. A silhouette was at the far end of the hallway. They were in a white, long doctor's coat. I called out to them as I ran. The beam of light danced wildly, only steadying as I reached them. My hand gripped their shoulder and I tried to spin them around. It was like trying to move a statue. My light traced their form. They were made of bone, clothes and all. I screamed and then spent the next few hours frantically running around the clinic. Everyone was made of bone. My brother, uh, he was long gone before I was done, I, I think. <clears throat> so, the rest you know, I curled up into a ball and just cried right there on the floor. Exactly where you found me. Thanks for, uh, you know, giving me a place to recover, to process. Not like it matters in the end. Pieces of me have already become bone. I have a day, uh, two at most. I shouldn't even be here, or around people. I, I, I shouldn't be around you. This case is complex to put a preliminary diagnosis on. Knowing Dr. Olin, he did some follow-up research. Hmm. Ah, let's see what he has. Seems to be a news report surrounding a clinic and the surrounding blocks. Judging by the address, it isn't too far from here, actually. The report details a chemical hazard of some sort. Apparently it caused mass hallucinations, and there was a high mortality rate. If I was a paranoid man, I would say this reads like a conspiracy cover-up. Luckily, being a news report, it's actually dated. It's dated June 14th, 2019. <laughs> I suppose that means Dr. Olin is fine. Ah, Donahue. Great timing. Always. What are your thoughts on a patient who believes she has a plague that turns flesh to bone and kills you in little over a week? Try social distancing, perhaps? I wish there was more on the patient. Presumably, she didn't die from a made-up disease. I'm interested to see how her delusions adapted when the pandemic hit. Interested? Surely you mean concerned, right, Charles? Huh? Uh, yeah, of course. Uh, how were your transcripts? Look, I know you said to do multiple, but... Donahue. I got one in, and I'll show you in a moment. One? What were you doing all day? Well, I did the one, and then I took a small break and got wrapped up in a side thing. Consider that my 15. Then I went for a walk. Donahue. But, but, on my way back, I ran into Mr. Gray and that Eli kid. They had an interesting proposal, one I think you might want to hear, so I made an appointment for tomorrow. What proposal? You should really hear it from them. However, you'll want to know that I spent the rest of my shift looking into this gray character. And the son of Olin. And? And I will tell you, after we listen to my tape. 
Donahue. Now, now, Charles, have a sense of storytelling. There is no point in arguing with you, is there? Nope. Fine, let me just turn off my recorder first. This episode was written and produced by Christopher George. Charles Talbot was played by Christopher George. Lucian Donahue was played by Dakota Hamlin. The Waitress was played by Abby Lazinski. Script editing was done by Dalton Lewis. Hey guys, thank you so much again for listening. We really appreciate it and we love seeing our numbers and our followers go up each and every day. It inspires us to make more content and keep going. Additionally, if you'd like to help out just a little bit more and perhaps feed our voice actors, head over to patreon.com slash thepatientfiles and become a patron. And as always, stay safe and stay sane.